Hi everybody, I'm here with Tom Andre of Atlantic Communities. Hi, thanks for you? coming. Thank this you is the first me. time we've done this video, so it might be a little awkward, but too bad. Yeah, I uh, like it. But I'm Christian Ross, attorney with Camel and Brandon, and Tom, uh, we kind of bond over something that I think is unique about how you do your business, is which is you have a history as a counselor for... Um, you know, throughout your career, and you've kind of drawn that into your career as a realtor. And you really dig, and, and not for anything other than helping understand your client and being the most effective realtor that you can be. I think it's a very special thing that you can do. Um, and you like it, you enjoy understanding what people are going through so that you can help them most effectively. Um, and the thing that you and I were talking about earlier was. The interview with the client initially, whether they're yeah. a buyer or a seller, and kind of what your process is for, you get asked to go to a listing appointment, and what resources you have and what you're trying to accomplish, at least initially. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me, how, how do you approach those interviews? How do you kind of get the most bang for your buck out of that? Sure, sure. Uh, let me just answer the, 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 uh, the previous question, and, and that is, I grew up in real estate. This is what my dad did, much like your father is an attorney. Yeah. This is what my dad did for 50 years. And as far uh, as we wanted to run from I'm that. not even 50 years old, so he was doing it long before I showed up. So I, I watched him do the business, and there was nothing about me that wanted anything to do with this business. It wasn't until I became a counselor, uh, and this is really post his death, I became a counselor. Uh, I started doing counseling, and I decided to do real estate on the side. And it was through my counseling experience, and I did a lot of work, a lot of uh, volunteer work, and a lot of extra classes. And so when I started be, being a realtor, I just realized my skill set as a counselor, in addition to the background, really helped um, uncover in a gentle way a lot of pieces of information that can help me. And I was doing both for several years, and I just got to the point where I'm like, at the end of a real estate transaction, I'm emotionally tired just like I would be any counselor, yeah. but I can go to lunch and dinner with them, uh, my clients, uh, and I can't do that uh, in, as in, a in counseling. You, you can't, well, a good you can't socialize and separate. So when I, um, you know, get into the question, when I get to a meeting with somebody, it's usually because um, there's something about us talking, maybe it's a referral, maybe it's um, something that gets the initial meeting and what, what I what I say is I, I doctors have a bedside manner and I have a death side manner and that death side manner is how you um, do all the small things how you meet them how you greet them uh, what you're coming to show them and talk to them about how you're talking to, to them um, what you're talking about and really it's opportunities to pull out um, small pieces of data through the question and answer process of what's going on with them, what's important. Um, the other part of that is, I think often in a transaction, um, you have a transaction, and I, and I always say behind that transaction, there's some sort of transition. There's a relocation, yep. which can be very stressful on people. There is um, a marriage, maybe a divorce, some sort of life stage change, an upsize, a downsize. And so typically they're already um, potentially a little fragile, fragile, rattled, agitated, um, and so how you meet them is just like a doctor. If you if you 
at this time last year, I was in a, a hospital room, and when the doctor would come in, um, he would see that I was a little tense, I was in a little bit of pain, so how he greeted me was very important, or how other people greeted me was very important, and, and that's, um, that's how I at least start off. Well, I love it because, you know, you and I, in the, these roles, we get asked very personal questions, sometimes with no context. Mm -hmm. And you're expected to just perform and have the same answer every time, and it's not realistic. Um, and it can be a huge hurdle if you're ignoring that side of the interview. Yeah. So everything you've talked about at this point is how I try to understand my client. But I think another part of the interview that we talked about, which is understanding what would affect the transaction as well. So we understand the client as best we can. Um, I always say it's kind of like being at TSA. If you see something, say something. So if you see that the spouse's clothes are not in the closet, mm -hmm. they may not tell you anything about a divorce, but it's probably there. There's right. something, yeah. whether it's a divorce or something else. And um, you know, it, it really transitions into the way I look at deals. So you're trying to understand them. You're trying to communicate effectively with them. But then there's a switch where I picked up an issue. I picked up an issue. I picked up an issue. Right. And we've got to deal with those. So in, in law school, they teach you about IRAC, which is an acronym for Issue, Rule, Analysis, Conclusion. Issue, Rule, Analysis. I, this podcast is going to be filled with that. Yeah. But basically, it allows you to go through a whole story that may have very complex um, you know, dilemmas or trauma even to a client. And it allows you to be effective. So you meet someone that is in a divorce. And it's like, issue number one, who's on title? And is the divorce current? Is right, it, has right. it been finished? Did the judge give final order? What are the questions I need to ask? And then who can I lean on to double check that it's right? Yeah. I recently had a deal where the divorce, the divorcee was selling. He's the only one on title. He told his realtor, everything's great. And we get three days before closing. And it just wasn't. It just wasn't, and she's gritting her teeth, hoping that I wasn't telling her the truth. Right. Um, but if you know, we go through that process, and so there's that balance of like, what is the client telling me? Why am I here? And then how can I move the ball forward? Right, right. And I think um, one of the analogies I would use when I'm talking to people is that um, there's offense and defense. So if I'm talking with a buyer. Some, sometimes I will flip the playbook and show them what I would do as a seller. Here's how we're going to approach your situation. Here's how we're going to um, make your offer. Here's how we're going to do the due diligence before we make the offer. And then let's pretend I'm the seller and I'm going to reverse it and say this is how it's going to be received. Oh, so I will, yeah. I will Take the wind out of the sails. Like, like the buyer's book I have. I will show a seller that book because I just reverse engineer it and say this is how I'm going to vet uh, six offers to, to so, make sure we pick the most stable offer not necessarily it, w with my advice not necessarily the highest price offer but one that we kick the tires on every aspect the one that can hurt you the least really right right you know if you're a seller and, and Tom and I he, Tom is famous in his office for the buyer book um, and it's incredible it's it's a three ring binder was a three inch three ring binder probably three, um, two and a half two and a half inch yeah it's yeah. but it's it's intense and it has an answer to every potential situation um, it allows you to 
lay out the playbook. And we talked about this, and I thought this was a very good analogy, another one, which is you're the coach. And, and I've struggled in trying to um, explain what a realtor does. And it's, it's a good reason why I'm struggling is because there's so many potential things you're asked to do. Right. And you made it pretty clear you're the coach on game day. You're not the quarterback. The buyer or the seller is the quarterback. I'm the coach, you're the coach, and we're trying to set up a game plan that gives us the best chance to win. Absolutely, absolutely. The way I describe it, like you said, is um, I'm gonna make some advice and recommendations on what plays you should run. Sometimes uh, the ball gets hiked and people scatter, run their own plays. (laughs) Sometimes successfully, sometimes not. I'm here to be a resource to help bring out the best in, in uh, my clients and and hopefully they see the best in me because that's really the you know one of the uh, analogies uh, you were talking about is you have two people uh, you and I in this conversation we have some common threads okay and with common threads like in this coat uh, you have the strength of fabric and when it starts to fall apart you probably retire it um, that the way I look at it is everybody has their strengths some people are good at writing contracts some people are um, good at sales some people are good at the people aspect and what I find in this business is it's 80% people and 20% other things but you have to have yeah. the business to to exercise at 80% because um, how do you and, and the way I approach it is is in stressful situations how do you how do you um, massage that stress out how do you handle those situations how are we gonna work through this situation so we can get to the next play. So well, if we get five yards downfield, what plays are we going to run to get 10 yards and then to pass the uh, the hurdles like due diligence? And well, and I think the key is we're not doing this just to get five yards. We're doing this to score. Correct. And Correct. as long as you can keep your focus on closing, that's our touchdown, right? That's Correct. our score. Um, I have a hypothetical for you. So you, you go to meet with a <coughs> listing agent or you go to meet as a listing agent with a seller and you're touring the house, you're talking to the seller about what their intentions are, and she brings up, there's a potential encroachment that, you know, we never got a survey, but we've installed all this stuff in the back, we installed a shed, we installed a, you know, what they call a she shed, right? That's hmm. the State Farm commercials. But, yeah. you know, how do you approach that? It's because you, you want the business, and, and you're desperate for the business at times, depending on what time of year, we're in January, and it's a tough time because houses, you know, it's not the spring market just yet, but it's, we know it's right around the corner. What's your typical kind of playbook for going in that route? How do you advise a client? What would you say? What are your issues? Yeah, so if uh, what you're saying is if there are encroachments, okay, my recommendation is we disclose those, but it's really up to them when it comes down to it. It's their property Yeah. Um, and their recommendation. And if it's something that we can move, like the, the shed and relocate it or or tear it down, that would be my recommendation too. Not often is that recommendation uh, initially acted upon, and sometimes later on they wish they did, because there's less, uh, I would call it acid reflux, there's less acid (laughs) reflux in the um, ensuing uh, issues that come up, because if a buyer decides to do a survey, you know, have a survey done, they might find other issues that the seller did not know about. I'm, I'm one of the few people I know who, um, before I bought a property, and, and keep in mind where I come from in Connecticut, property goes back 
several hundred years. Goes back um, to the King of England. Goes back to uh, the early days of the Revolutionary War, and uh, it sometimes the property lines are follow the stone wall to the oak tree, take a left, go 50 yards. And, and so I had a property, I had a survey done on my property. I didn't find anything. Um, the boundary line's a little bit off, but I still have that survey. And now I'm smart enough because of uh, my friendship with people like yourself not to use that survey because it's 21 years old, and <laughs> <laughs> not to use that survey when I sell my house, but it's for informational purposes only. I won't make it part of the contract. There you um, go. And if, and if a buyer wants to buy my house, they can get their own survey done. Now, 21 years later, they may find something different Okay, something that changed with the property. Something but that got missed. That is, as you know, yeah. right? That's it's on them to do so. Yeah. So if I'm representing um, or or going to be representing the seller, I'm advocating you disclose this or, or remedy this, remedy the situation so you don't have to disclose this. But it's really up to you how you want to handle this. I'm just again making what I think is the best recommendation. Yeah, you're trying to set them up for success, and and so if I issue spot that hypothetical. Um, obviously, there's this seller disclosure form in the GAR handouts, mm -hmm. and it's imperative that a seller be given that. And we get a lot of times, I get the question, oh, the investor owns this and won't fill it out. Right. And that's a big hurdle, and I always recommend they fill it out anyways. I don't care if you never lived there. I wish they would. I wish they would. Yeah. It's just a lot of them push back. I, I love it when they say, uh, seller has never lived in the property. What has that got to do with owning yeah. property? Yeah, I mean, one of the questions. six-figure property and not know anything about it? <laughs> one of the questions is, when was the house built? I think most sellers can probably fill that part out. We yep. can get that information. You know, do you know of any flooding? I think if you don't know, you say no. If you do, you say yes. Correct. And so it doesn't have anything to do with how much you know about the property. Um, but that's, that's something that comes up. So you're asking a seller, a seller brings it up, you go, you know, that gives me an opportunity to talk about the seller disclosure. And the shed being over the property line is asked on there, are there any known encroachments? Right. If you showed that seller that same thing, and maybe it sparks their memory. Maybe if she or he hadn't given that information initially, maybe you pull it from them afterwards mm -hmm. when, you, when you go through the form. And that brings me to another issue, which is the listing agreement. So you're going, your whole intent of going to this is not, not solely for, you know, a counseling session. You're, you know, you've, you've left, that, left that career it's behind you. It's a business you. counseling session. It's a business counseling <laughs> session. But your, your other thing is to pick up anything that could be problematic to your closing. So going back to your game plan. And on that listing agreement, second page, it asks for any special circumstances. So, you know, maybe the client talks about a divorce or a pending divorce, or you notice, yes. you know, that something is awry, something's wrong with this picture you've heard from a friend that referred you that there's a reason the house is being sold. And pick up on that stuff, have it in the listing agreement, because you need to have those conversations. Yeah. And it's so much easier to have those conversations early on when basically no money has been spent, no time has been put in, and the the answers are the simplest. And it goes the same for buyers. Yeah. Buyers don't want to find out about it a week before. You could tell them the same information. You could say, there's a shed, it's over the line. You do that at binding as opposed to a day before closing and they're gonna want a different answer. Yeah, I, I think, uh, let me address one thing you mentioned too because um, I think when you're working with a client and they're, um, I think there's always, 
some sticking points. And I think sometimes when you watch people, they come out in subtle ways. So sometimes there's a resistance of filling out the disclosures because it, it's such a matter of fact. It's, it's, I have to know the answer. And a lot of times people um, start to recall, I think there's something wrong, I, I don't know. And I'm like, it's, oh, that's it's, a good it's point. very yes or no. But sometimes just writing that stuff down is making the situation, maybe the sale or maybe leaving their home of 30 years, whatever the case may be, it's making it a little more real. And sometimes there's, uh, in, in counseling, we would call this client resistance. So there's a little resistance of putting anything down. I think that's why investors yeah. just claim, I don't know anything about the property. I've never lived there. And I'm like, how did you buy it without knowing anything about it? You, you must have toured it. You must have looked at it. Maybe you had it inspected yourself. Or it's, uh, alternatively, where it's an estate and or a trust. And that was mom's house. Right. And I never lived there. I'm in Minnesota. Right. Uh, you know, the reality is maybe you talk to mom every once in a while and she told you that the HVAC was on the fritz. Right, you know, right. That there, there are, it's an important step that most sellers are going to fight you on. Yeah, and there's a manufacturing it. stamp on every system in the house. So, um, but, you know, I think in Georgia, and you, this is your area, uh, it's buyer beware and the buyer has to do their due diligence and um, do their inspections. And the, it can't be expected to the seller providing everything. I think from, from my perspective when I'm representing the sellers, this is not the way, not my preferred way of wanting to start out. What we want to do is we want to lay out all the groundwork to build trust, okay? To, to communicate, communicate trust, yeah. communicate trust. And if you're withholding information uh, uh, by accident or like by not having the disclosures attached or, or in, uh, being handed out in such a way, or you're just slow boating the process. To me, that's not a trustworthy thing. You have not put it in your due diligence to, to sell the property. When I'm representing it, uh, my goal is to find a, an offer that's acceptable where I have a good working relationship with the agent. So when, when things do go wrong, we can put our heads together. And I've, I've made a lot of good um, friends and business contacts. Uh, with people who are willing to solve problems um, by putting our heads together and yeah. coming to some agreement. Um, but often I think with the sellers, um, you know, it's, it's, again, it's making it real. It's putting them uh, on notice that they have to uh, say the facts. And, and really, they only have to say the facts to their best known ability. Yeah. You know. To their knowledge. To their knowledge. And they changed the form a couple of years ago where they removed that, there was there were three yes, options. No, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody was like, I don't know everything. Exactly. Yeah. And ultimately, the reason they've removed it is because by saying no, it's the same as saying I don't know. Right. So it was just trying to remove some confusion. And I always say to look at the form itself. It says this form is to help the seller comply with Georgia law. Right. You choose to ignore that to your right. own detriment. Right. And what I choose to do with my clients, and that is you, you explain it. The, the, the thing that you need to, when you have the notes section and you want to explain something, you explain it to me in your own words. And then I'm, I'm a communications major in my undergrad, so I'm like, I want to, I want to carefully... Me, you're scaring me. I don't communicate like that. <laughs> well, I want to carefully word this because a lot of times they're, they're using things that are uh, maybe a, a description that's open-ended or um, not specific enough. And so I want to come back and, and say, maybe, maybe we can say it this way. Um, um, there was a leak in the roof. Uh, we had it repaired by um, XYZ Roofing Company. 
and Here's have the, the paid receipt. invoice. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. And so um, they might just say we had a leak in the roof. And and sometimes you might even want to reference exactly where the leak was because if, if you're Tom Andre and you're representing the buyer, you want to actually go look at that and make sure it was resolved um, in, in the way that uh, you find appropriate. So the other side of that is you you don't want any liability from saying you fixed it. You want to just say there was a leak, we hired so-and-so, and this is what they did. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a really great way to transition into the next point, which is we're, we're analyzing this issue, which is a potential disclosure issue. We looked at the, the legal uh, side of it, you know, what Georgia requires. We look at the form, so the contract that we're signing with the buyer and seller. Um, and then we look at what you've kind of educated me about is the ethical considerations or any collateral damage, any other people that would be affected by this. And come to a conclusion by looking at all of those different analyses, coming, you know, analyzing all of that together. So you, let's go back to the initial uh, scenario, which was a shed over the property line. We know that the contract says it's a potential title issue. If you know mm -hmm. there's an encroachment, seller needs to disclose it, and that would be a mark against title. Mm -hmm. There are ways to fix it, you know, but that's hiring lawyers. It can get expensive. Yeah. You know, what might you recommend if you had a seller disclose to you, hey, there's a shed? And what's kind of your thought on that? Why would you go in that direction? Yeah. Well, um, I would say to this and to you, I'm not a lawyer. But if, if you know that a shed or, or any object is over the property line, pull it back over. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think what ends up happening is, is that uh, money fixes the problem down the road. And, uh, and this has happened on uh, several occasions, but money fixes the problem down the road. And if they had just fixed it the first time, it could have been the stopgap. Okay? Yeah. So if it's a shed, it's not... Uh, pertinent or critical to the house, it doesn't make or break the house, um, and the shed needs to be taken down, removed, or moved, just do that, do that, and if that's, and if that's what you, um, if that's to the best of your ability that the shed's over the property line and you think the property line is here, then just move it, because the buyer may or may not choose to have a survey done or may not, may not ask any more questions, but when that's on the disclosure, um, it, it can't open up Pandora's box. Yeah, it's a red highlight. It's yeah. saying, hey, you know, seller was a little careless with where they put improvements. Yeah, and I, I'd say this too, uh, and maybe this isn't a, more of an analogy than a rule of thumb, and that is, if that was like a $500 problem, okay, and it turns into north of $1,500, and if they just had it uh, mitigated at that time, um, something may have not come up ever again about it. I would even look at... If you lose this contract because you chose not to do anything about it, and you have to go back on the market for another 30 days, and that's one mortgage payment. Right, right. Mortgage payment, 2000 3000 whatever it may and, be. And it could, I mean, it's funny you say that because um, the way I look at things, and I truly try and look at things 360 degrees, and that is, you know, if, if you're talking, if this is um, uh, October 15th, and 30 more days we go into November. Well, then you're into the holidays. So then there's implications of maybe things slow down the holidays. Maybe you've been already on the market 60 to 90 days, and this is another 30 to 60 days. And those implications start to stack up. Um, and, and I would call that the ripple effect of making a decision. I, and I think sometimes, especially in the market uh, that we've been in the last year or two, people really... Um, 
maybe sellers had the luxury of going, well, let me just try it and with not doing anything. Okay, I don't want to spend any money whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I don't know of too many people that would sell a car that wouldn't have it washed or detailed or some basic amounts. Gas. Yeah, or change the oil, whatever the case may be. Um, and I just think that sometimes when people do that, they're just a little bit short-sighted because the implications of this is only going to cost me 500 bucks, so let me just kick the can down the road. And then it ends up, uh, let's say it gets to five to $10,000 because maybe the property description has to be rewritten by lawyers. A survey has to be done before and after, um, or maybe at least, at least one survey. But then you're into lots of time, lots of money. And, lots of anxiety. And, and really the way I look at this too, and this is my personal sort of preference, and that is it's my job to establish and build and keep and maintain credibility throughout the process because that is what helps deals come together. When people see how you handle things, the disclosures, um, the negotiations, the visits to the property, um, then uh, sometimes that's what holds together when, it, when it's really about to fall apart. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier before we start the podcast that it's 80% relationship, 20% contractual. So if you're calling my office with a contractual problem, I hope that you've exhausted your 80% because by the time you get your 20% contractual, it's a lot of times it's black and white and the solutions may not be acceptable, Yeah, but you don't have a choice. So to come full circle on that scenario, I had a closing that wasn't necessarily uh, a she shed, but there was an encroachment that should have been disclosed ahead of time. Buyer gets a survey. And now this, the, they are arguing and they're really fighting over how do we cure this title issue? How do we cure this encroachment? And it's not always as simple as remove it once right. you're already under contract. Right, right. So you, you, you have a buyer that depended on the she shed or the playhouse or whatever it was. And now that it's over the property line, maybe it's, maybe it's this uh, paver patio with fire pit and they love it and that they envision themselves out there every night. Right. Well, buyer's got a survey. It's you know the seller can just go rip it up potentially, yeah. and now there's no encroachment. Yeah. But that's not what the buyer wanted. Right. The buyer wanted the paver. So, perspective is really key in getting that done ahead of time. And I love that. So, those interviews that the listing appointment or buyer brokerage agreement are imperative to establishing the next ninety or 180 days, however long your relationship's yeah. gonna be. Yeah. And hopefully it's not much longer, but sometimes it is. Well, I'll say this, uh, ideally it's much longer, but uh, I would say this, post-sale, uh, of course, I mean, as a therapist, I really like to focus on building relationships. Um, but but you might be done with the sale and the relationship just changes stages. Um, you go into, uh, this is a past client of mine. Yeah. And, and in some cases that's good because you can't handle uh, uh, the stress of, of too much. Having it come to a conclusion is of, 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 of benefit. Um, yeah. But coming back to the, the issue about uh, uh, whether whatever amenity is in the backyard, it changes the value. You know, it changes yeah. the value of the home. And maybe uh, financially, uh, up or down just a little bit, but it changes what people, like you said, what they envisioned the backyard used to be. Um, uh, it's, they feel it's, like something's taken from them. Whether Absolutely. they had any sort of dollar number yeah. on it at all, all of a sudden you're changing the game at the last second. It's a lot of anxiety. They want to hire a lawyer. They want to talk to dad. 
whatever it is. Oh, they're talking to five or ten people. Yeah, now you're dealing with a totally different situation, and you your seller's in a really bad spot, at least in you know that scenario. It, and I think uh, the other thing too is when you have that question of uh, integrity or lack of confidence, then they start thinking about that roof leak, and they start to go, "Well, yeah. I wonder how they handled." Other things of the property, if if um, this boundary line was handled this way, and uh, again, there's a ripple effect. Uh, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. So, in my personal closing, just to finish this all up, I bought a house a couple of years ago, and it was an as-is deal that the seller said, "I'm not making any changes." And we found one thing, and two things, and three things, and mm-hmm. the seller just did it. He didn't complain. He said, "Yep, that should have been right," and he did it over and over and over again. We get to a couple days before closing, and he says, he calls me, he says, Christian, the windows are a couple weeks delayed. I thought they'd be in in time, but they're not. And there was something else. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to pay it in full? Do you want me to pay half? Do you want to put money in escrow? And as a closing attorney, it's hard not to be too lawyerly about it mm-hmm. and say, well, contractually, we're supposed to do this, and my lender needs it that way. But we all know escrow agreements are brutal. Yeah. They're not something that we recommend. But I told him, I said, put, put half the money down, and when they deliver it and I say it's okay, I'll send you a text, and you can pay the rest. And I had no comfort like there was nothing contractually that said he had to do this after the fact it was just that i really trusted what he had done to date and at the end of the day i was willing to trust in him and my downside was i'd have to put up a thousand bucks or five hundred dollars for the rest of the deposit for the windows but that made the difference we closed on time there was no delays we moved in and that is what i always implore my clients to do is to see is there a way where we can you can ignore kind of the contractual stuff and just trust someone is has has the relationship gone in that direction well i mean good faith and trust but verify trust Uh, but verify trust but verify and at the end of the day you still want the house you're willing to risk it you know that that was your call and he yeah that's the buyer's call quarterback made and i think sometimes when you have um uh Again, that established relationship where you have gone back and forth on a couple of different things and you worked it out and you kind of have a sense that these things are going to resolve themselves. I, I think on, on the flip side, you could also be dealing with somebody and you, you're going to be like, we're putting this in escrow yeah. and we're not taking any chances. Absolutely. Uh, and we certainly do that when yeah. necessary. Um, but thank you. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Man. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll have a wonderful year this year. You too. Thanks, guys. Thanks.